0: Hello, I am back to remind you again of Digiday Plus, our membership program that gets you unlimited access to Digiday articles, exclusive content that is only for Digiday Plus members, original research reports, and much more. Um, This costs most people $395 a year, but since you listen to this podcast, we want to give you a discount. If you use intro... At checkout, that is I-N-T-R-O, you will get Digiday Plus for three months at 70% off a mere $49. This is a great way to try out our membership program. I know you will find it worth it. Uh, To sign up, please visit digiday.com slash subscribe. And then when you're at checkout, enter I-N-T-R-O. Thank you. Lately, scale has become a dirty word in digital media. But don't tell that to Group 9, home of Threllis, Now This, The Dodo, and Seeker. Group 9 is betting on the virtues of having a large scale digital media model. I'm Brian Marcy and this is the Digiday podcast. Uh, This week is a special episode of the podcast, it is from a live recording we did uh, the other week at Group Nine's office in New York City. I speak with Group 9 president Krista Carone about the need for consolidation in digital media, whether scale on platforms is still a good business strategy, and much more. Before we get started, how many people are Digiday Plus members? Okay, the rest of you, keep your hands raised because Jack uh, Marshall is gonna be coming around with a credit card machine and, and taking your subscription. Um, but seriously, do consider becoming uh, a member. Uh, you can go on the website and check it out. It's, it's well worth it. You get unlimited access to all of our content, exclusive research. Invites to events like this, Krista? It's
1: so good. I'm a member. Everybody's should Krista's a member? Be.
0: Are you a happy member? I'm a thrilled member. OK, there you but go. But I live
1: life to the thrillest, so. Exactly.
0: So do, do consider it. Um, anyway, thank you again for coming. And uh, we are going to get started. Well, Krista, thank you for having us in Group 9.
1: Brian, thank you for coming here. Welcome to our new home.
0: OK, and it's lovely. It's lovely. You have snacks. You have a bevy machine that I, it was tough for me to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, Lately, we've been hearing nothing about doom and gloom in digital media. Some of it in Digiday, which uh, you know, Digiday Plus members have unlimited access to all of this doom and gloom. Um, and you know, we've heard about layoffs at Vice, uh, layoffs at BuzzFeed. Um, you know, we just saw a sale of the former, some of the former Gawker properties yep. for uh, quite a steep discount. Um, give me the optimist take.
1: Oh, that's easy, coming from Group Nine. So. Hopefully many of you are familiar with Group Nine. We are a family of four amazing brands, but we're relatively young as a holding company. We came together about two and a half years ago to form Group Nine, and one of the reasons that I'm incredibly optimistic about our business is because we had founding beliefs when we brought, did this roll up, if you will, of the four companies. Um, Those four beliefs were one, consolidation across the industry absolutely will happen, and we're seeing that. We're Obviously, we've seen it a lot in linear, and we're starting to see it more in digital. Um, two, that video will be the hero format, especially for mobile consumption. Um, three, that we do think that social will start to mimic cable, meaning that social are really the new pipes of distribution. And premium content will always win. So we kind of look at those founding beliefs and say, are they playing out in terms of how we're scaling this business? And we're incredibly confident that they are. We had a great first quarter. We had a great 2018. Do you want to share any numbers? I absolutely do not, but I can tell you with confidence that um, I'm sitting here smiling because I'm incredibly optimistic about the strength of our business, but I'm optimistic about it because we made these strategic calls and they're uh, they're working in our favor.
0: Okay, Uh, when they take away the snacks, by the way, anyone who is here from Group 9, that always comes before layoffs. So if the snacks go, that is a bad sign.
1: We have upped our snack game here too. You can talk to anybody about the plantain chips. They are incredibly (laughs) popular. So tell
0: me which strategic bets, which strategic bets have paid off? Give me two or three that paid off.
1: Uh, One video, mobile video. So this wasn't a pivot for us, two of our brands, three of our brands were really video first, born in video, dream in video. So experts in mobile storytelling with video being the hero format. So absolutely paying off for us. And then omni-channel, which is such a business buzzword, I apologize for that, but it happens to be true. Omni channel distribution, meaning we are going to bring our content to the places where people spend their time, and we are completely platform agnostic. I'm not trying to drive you into a legacy destination. I'm going to go to where you're already spending your time, and then it's up to us to figure out how to make a business doing that. But when you're maniacally audience first, you're going to bring your content to the places where you know people are already hanging out.
0: Okay, so a, a lot of talk with this recent this recent tumult has been around scale, and that scale is, is the enemy. And that particularly venture capital funded digital media companies that were premised on scale are in a bad situation right now. Mm-hmm. You guys are a venture capital funded digital media company that in some sense is based on this idea that scale is a gigantic competitive advantage. Yeah. Give me the case for it.
1: Well, I'd go back to the fact that where we're advantaged is because we are a collection of brands and the consolidation helped us establish a very strong foundation that all of these brands can build off of. So um, that's a huge advantage for each of our brands that they're not out there trying to build a digital business independently, right? They're able to tap into quote, unquote, corporate resources that we're building without having to rely on raising money to develop those infrastructures themselves. So that's a big advantage to consolidation. It's just efficient.
0: You have one sales force.
1: It's one sales and marketing team across all four brands. It's one product and tech team that supports all... Of our brands, we have an amazing, best-in-class audience insights team that supports all four brands. We have an incredible HR organization, finance organization, legal—you name it—all of the different components that you need to run a successful mm-hmm. business.
0: And and yet, I, I, you guys have been sort of out in front by saying that's not really enough as far as consolidation goes, because um, there there has been talk, and you guys have participated in the talk about further consolidation. I don't. I don't think you have Philip from Refinery29 hiding here to announce any merger tonight. But there has been. Is he? (laughs) Um, That would be something, huh? (laughs) But what is the case for further consolidation? Because Ben has talked about this, and he's talked about it making a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, the counter to that is, and you can give me the case word, the counter to it is you, you don't put together two, co- uh, two or three companies that have amassed gigantic audiences but have yet to prove in long term that they can be profitable and get something that suddenly is magically profitable.
1: Well, I think so a big focus of ours is that we're we're growing in a responsible way, right? so by, by creating this strong infrastructure foundation, first of all, I, let me step back and say. We're not done at four. That was not the intention of building Group Nine with just four brands. The intention here was building the new media company of the future. modeling it after the cable conglomerates that were successful prior to digital really becoming the new ways that we consume content, so we're, history is definitely repeating itself and we're able to learn a lot from those models as well, but don't underestimate the importance of efficiency when you're trying to scale a business. And Our approach right now is to make sure that we are building the best foundational strength in digital media, in media period, so that we can build other brands on top of it and let the brands stand alone. Let the brands do what the brands need to do, which is understand their audience, have a clear purpose, have a clear voice, and depend on us to ensure that they're getting the scale and you know the profitable revenue mm-hmm. that helps to support their business. So
0: I would think any sort of combination it would benefit in having one HR department, one finance. Anyone from finance here? There would only be one finance department. Um, so you cut costs in some ways but then also you would be able to do bigger deals with advertisers. Uh,
1: you can do bigger deals with uh, with advertisers because now you're able to buy audience um, with against the scale that we're able to deliver. So bigger is better in this type of situation if you've been responsible in how you've managed your business.
0: Would you, realistically, would would you have more negotiating leverage with platforms? Absolutely. Explain that part of it because well, I think, I think a lot we,
1: of- we already because we are the number one Storyteller on mobile because we are platform agnostic because we play incredibly nice in the sandbox with the platforms um, We have a an advantaged position with each of the platforms We have direct sales access of all of our inventory across all all of the platforms. If you want to buy Group 9 content directly on the platforms, the only place that you can do that is through us. Um, We're consistently brought into alpha and beta testing with the platforms, So participating at scale with the platforms does give you a competitive
0: advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, Does Facebook need to pay you directly?
1: Facebook pays us directly in some cases, so we have a morning show with Facebook. And th- by the way, season two, like Facebook, came back and said, "I love it, keep going." I listen. I know that there's a lot of contrarians around whether or not you can make money off of Facebook, and I was just reviewing. wait. Isn't the
0: contrarian case that you can make money off Facebook? <laughs>
1: So I was just reviewing our first quarter results and high double-digit earnings growth um, across all of our platforms.
0: And that includes Facebook. Well, it depends of on what the base is. That's what the reporter I tell reporters when they say, you know, high growth. I'm like, well, from a low base, it's usually easier to have high growth. <laughs>
1: Um, I wouldn't say that it's uh, a low base on some of these platforms, so actually I'm incredibly bullish on so that. So you're
0: happy... But pl-
1: and also, like, if I wasn't bullish on it, we'd be building out a whole bunch of O and O's, I'd be trying to drive you into other destinations, and our whole business philosophy is we're going to go where we know people are spending mm-hmm. their time. So you don't
0: run from the label distributed media company, because a few no, years back, a lot of people started talking about distributed media and then the monetization just didn't come. The eyeballs came. They came on podcasts like the Digiday podcast and they talked about these billions of video views. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do many billions of video views. Very small number of which were actually monetized, right? So at some point it's like, well, what are you doing this for?
1: Right. So, I mean, keep in mind though when you take a look at group 9, people would have you know us for short form social video. But the reality is if you're spending any time with our brands now across any of the platforms, you're seeing that we're producing longer form, mid, mid form videos that we are able to monetize in a pretty effective way that we're leaning much more into building brands that are developing intellectual property and being much more intelligent about what intellectual property really means. So less about Um, short form that disappears really quickly and more about producing content that has a lifetime value. And when I talk about the fact that we're agnostic about the platforms that we distribute against, we're kind of talking about the major social platforms, but actually Group 9 is distributing content across over 20 platforms right now.
0: Okay. And Facebook is not necessarily the biggest one.
1: Facebook is not necessarily the biggest one. It depends on the brand right it depends on on the on certain audiences facebook is really big for the dodo that makes a lot of sense um but my gosh the dodo is also really huge on youtube dodo and now this were the top earning two of the top earning brands on twitter last quarter so Uh, Thrillist right now has a great show that we've been distributing on Amazon Prime, and Amazon is thrilled with the results of that show. Uh, Our approach as a company is to make sure that I've said this before, like when a platform sneezes, we're not catching a cold and that we're very much just focused on creating premium content and bringing it to the places where people are watching and consuming
0: a lot of publishers now are talking about diversifying revenue how Mm -hmm. important is that as a very ad driven company yep um a lot of people want to sort of de-risk from advertising. Advertising is a high margin business, but it's also a fickle business. Mm -hmm. And a Uh, lot of that advertising money has gone to Google and Facebook.
1: Hugely important for us to diversify our revenue streams. So what does that look like Um, for you guys? And it isn't just diversifying it away from advertising, but it's also diversifying it within advertising. So we have been known as a custom content shop. Uh, However, because we do have access to all of this inventory across the social platforms, pre-roll, mid-roll, in addition to all of our display business. We're now in a position where we're talking to advertising saying advertisers saying full funnel ad solutions like tell us your audience, tell us your campaign objective, give us some budget parameters, and we're gonna figure it out because we have such a diverse array of products that we can um, we can mix up and give you a really solid solution around. So diversification within the advertising business, and then diversification when we look at building intellectual property and the other ways that we can monetize that IP. Mm -hmm. So whether it's through networking, our licensing and networking deals with our content, um, whether it's original program sales, for example, I think many of you know that Last year, was uh, we produced a show for Animal Planet, uh, Dodo Heroes, which was hugely successful. And Dodo Heroes 2, season 2, will be premiering this summer. So there are a number of different ways that we're looking across our portfolio to say we're building brands. And these brands are building content that have longer lifetime value. And what does that mean in terms of diversifying
0: our revenue? So how does a deal like Dodo Heroes work?
1: How do we pay for it? How do you get We paid. don't. Um, how do you get paid? Animal Planet pays for
0: it. <clears throat> okay, so they pay you
1: a it's single a production thing. deal. Okay. Yep. a so development like they'll come and say, "We're in the same way that I have a sales, we have a sales team that's pitching advertisers. We have a original content or a show development team." that is pitching buyers of content, Mm -hmm. the Hulus of the world, um, the Netflixes, Quibi, Discovery, whoever it may be.
0: And there are a lot of them out there. There's a lot of them, HBO. But but can you then resell the same content in a different window or in a different geography?
1: Yep, so that's a big part of that revenue stream is looking at the windowing strategies.
0: Okay, how about, uh, I mean, the other thing with intellectual property is around commerce. Yes,
1: so that, thank you. Oh. That was my next. One. You're welcome. Um, so, direct to consumer and commerce business is a massive focus of ours. I know that's similar to what a lot of other companies are looking to do, but I come from a branding background, so my career has always been working with major brands and looking at ways that you can monetize a brand through other um, revenue streams. And when I joined Group Nine, it was looking at each of these brands and saying, wow, Dodo, you're killing it as a media company, but you really have the potential to be a lifestyle company. And what does that mean? You have this incredibly loyal, fan base that is consuming and engaging with the Dodo content in ways that um, far exceeded our expectations and building communities and our ability to take that same type of fan base dedication offline into whether it's consumer events, whether it's merchandise, um, whether it's actually in the pet aisles of a major pet store, a number of different ways you that you animals. can expand Dodo. We would never sell it. <laughs> adopt,
0: don't shop, Brian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no puppy mills, no Dodo pu- puppy mills.
1: Um, but think about it. I mean, we all know and love brands like that, and this is our opportunity to really kind of leverage what's happening with the Dodo and the love of pet families.
0: Yes, um, pet families, exactly. So explain to me why the Dodo does have a strong brand. Because it has a large um, audience, or (laughs) it has a lot of numbers, right? But the question is whether or not there's a lot of animal content out there. There's a lot of animal content on on platforms, on social networks. Um, Some of it is Dodo content, some of it is non-Dodo content. Um, Give me the evidence that the Dodo is building the kind of strong brand that is traditionally built with, you know, the old fashioned way with O and O properties.
1: Well, I would say that there's a lot of animal content out there. And I obviously am incredibly biased. Um, but I don't think there's any other brand out there that tells stories about animals in the ways that the, that the dodo does. And it's really kind of tapping into the roles that animals play in our lives and, our, and in our society. There are less stories about animals and more stories about family. Um, We often refer to it as counter-programming in your feed, like Dodo content is a bit of stop the scroll because there is that little bit of goodness and love, and it brings you a smile, um, and you know what to expect. So when you see a Dodo video, yeah, you're getting that wonderful, um, the visuals of the puppies or the turtles, people love the turtles. But you also know that we're about to tell you a story that's going to bring some goodness into your day.
0: Um, One thing on on one of your other brands, on NowThis, how important is the 2020 election for NowThis to kind of, I I wouldn't say breakthrough, but like, you know, to really, I mean, this is the first, I think, presidential election where um, NowThis is... As big as it is now, yeah, I mean, we're I mean, seeing we've seen more moments that have been sure. you know brought through to the to to the wider cultural conversation that started on NowThis.
1: Right. I mean, I would. Um, argue that I think now this played a role in the 2018 midterm elections and the fact that now this is all about tapping into the cultural moments that matter. Um, It definitely is programming for young people by young people. It's giving young people a voice in what's happening in our world today and a very authentic voice to be engaging in that content. We have Extraordinary engagement with Now This on Snapchat that I find fascinating because I think that there is this flawed perception that young people don't care about news. They do care. You've got to bring it to them in the format and in the places where they're already spending their time. So I would argue that Now This has already played a role in shaping um, the influence that young people can have in an election. And I agree with you that. 2019, 2020 will continue to be very important to now this, but now this is one of the leading digital news outlets right now. Um, I talk to young people in my life, and it is 100% the place, the the outlet where they are getting informed about what's happening
0: mm-hmm. in the world. Maybe a, a now this presidential debate? Maybe, yeah. Stay tuned. Um, probably on the Democrats. Are you side
1: announcing though? your candidacy right no. now? No. Right, okay.
0: <laughs> I just think it would make sense on the Democratic side. I'm not sure if the Republicans would show up. <laughs> I mean, it's a fairly progressive political. They
1: could show. I mean, palette. they're more than in welcome.
0: There's <laughs> snacks. There are <laughs> snacks, and there's the uh, there is the uh, the bevy machine. Right. Let's let's not forget yes. that. Yes. Um, one last thing that I want to get to to audience Q and A, um, and that's around the role that the content city. You have your brand shop, and a lot. Look a lot of people um, have come out with content studios and you know it separates it separates publishers, it helps publishers get out of the commoditization trap. And yet, you know, margins get compressed when it comes to offering agency services. What what changes are you seeing on that on that layer when it comes to publishers acting like agencies? Because you you've you've been at agencies, you know mm-hmm. the agency business. It's not one. an
1: easy model, right yeah um i again it's efficiency it's being super smart and how you're spending your dollars here's where i think um our creative services agency is very much advantaged One, we're able to lean into the insights that we glean from across our four editorial brands in order to inform the content that we're creating for advertisers. Um, Our insights team is analyzing 115,000 views of our content every minute. That is an incredible massive amount of data that they're able to distill to tell us what people care about. Uh, Our in-house creative team can then take that and work directly with advertisers, or actually more often it's working directly with the social marketing people, uh, the social marketing teams. at companies saying, "This is all of this content that you're creating for your own social O and O. We can give you a better sense of what your audience really cares about." But back to your point on how do you make that efficient? This is what we do for a living. I mean, we make really high premium, very effective, engaging video across all four of our brands. This is what we get up and do every single day, many, many times a day. So we're replicating what we do for a living within our brand shop team. Um, I think we have this down to a science. And I mean, that's a part of it, right? This is not a pivot to anything. This wasn't a shifting from one business model to another. It wasn't trying to pull people from editorial and put them into a branded content. Uh, creative shop. This was really more of, this is in our DNA. We know how to do it. We know how to do it incredibly well.
0: I, so final thing on pivots, there's a big pivot to paid going on and it's one that you guys seem to be waiting out.
1: Yeah, we're yeah. not.
0: No interest in it, right? It just doesn't fit your brands. It and really doesn't fit
1: our brands. Um, and I also think, interestingly enough, we're sort of taking advantage of the subscription models in another way because we are working with the other platforms in order to to distribute our content, so having discussions with Netflix, for example, on um, a couple of original program sales that Netflix will run, having discussions with Hulu's and some of the other buyers of content there, so we're playing in the subscription model that way, but no, we're not seeing that subscription is really the way to go for our brands. I'd never say never, but right now that's not something that's really high on our priority list. I think that there's other ways that we can tap into commerce, um, some of the stuff that we talked about, but very much leaning into merch, very much leaning into maybe micro commerce opportunities, co-developing on some products, events, some other stuff.
0: Okay. I want to... Thank you, Krista. I want to open it up to uh, questions.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, The question was that, you know, now this started as a social first brand and then we did launch an O&O last year. We actually started that website more to be a, a destination library of our content. We don't intentionally, we're not sending a lot of traffic there. We just kind of felt like the O and O was an important place for us to be able to direct advertisers once in a while to see where our content sits. Um, social is still the number one priority in how we, look. not just social, I would say, um, again, like totally agnostic as to what platform it, it is, but a distributed model is our first priority. I will say that Thrillist still has a very robust O&O, o- o, still has a very strong email subscriber base. You know, that's kind of one of the OGs in the mm-hmm. digital media space. And Thrillist is such a much-loved brand and still very much respected as being a top recommendation um, source for, for food, for travel, for entertainment. And so we love O&O, o, absolutely. And um, in that case, that's... Are still an incredibly important part of our business and one of the benefits of being a portfolio company is that you can treat each brand a little bit separately depending on what their audience needs and you know what the objectives of the overall business model is
0: okay um, other questions yes uh, thank you very much uh, so you talked a lot about-
1: Yeah, great question about programmatic, and, uh, you know, this is definitely a shift for us now that we have more inventory available f- directly for us, even though, you know, distributed inventory in terms of the, the in-stream, but, um, We just, we actually just hired somebody who was running all of digital at at Time, before Time became Meredith, and and she has schooled us all on the the benefits of really leaning into programmatic and making sure that we are monetizing every single impression across our network. And I think you'll see. but this is part of the whole business priority around diversifying our advertising revenue, not just diversifying all of Group 9's revenue. So I think that you'll see that we're gonna make it much easier to tap into Group 9's programmatic inventory um, by taking more control of our direct inventory and selling it more directly to the
0: marketplace. Mm -hmm. But you're looking at programmatic more as like an efficient sales tool, not like a new demand source.
1: Oh m um potentially both. a little bit of both. Okay. Yep.
0: Uh yes. Uh you mentioned you made a reference to uh the cable company model. I'm curious if you can unpack that a little bit and how is that different from kind of the old school flatback free merger and
1: acquisition? Yeah, I mean b- the reference to cable and really history repeating itself is more they cable became the pipes for content, for mass content distribution. And the way that we're looking at mass contribution in the digital age is that social is really becoming those pipes. So that was, that's a bit of the analogy and also early days of cable that you started to see the roll up of all of these independent cable networks and then the bigger conglomerates were born, right? So the Viacoms and the discoveries and we just see that that same path of consolidation is going to be needed in the digital media business as well.
0: Okay. Um, other questions? What are some
1: of the initiatives in the uh, back half of 2019 that you're most excited about? The so question was, uh, what are we looking forward to in the back half of 2019? I'd, I'd kind of lean into a bit of what's happening with our commerce strategy. We're going to be launching um, direct-to-consumer events, something incredibly special in the dodo space you'll have to come back for more snacks, Brian, when I can tell you a little bit more about that. But for dodo lovers out there, especially dodo lovers in New York, we're gonna be giving you an incredibly fun day out with with your furry friends. So that's something that we're very much looking forward to. Um, I think that's where you'll see commerce becoming a bigger part of the group nine story. We are launching a number of new shows across all four of our brands. So again, this is less about talking about short form video and more about creating IP that has a greater lifetime value. And so leaning into show programming is kind of you know analogous to what's happened, analogous to a, a whole linear play or a TV play, but uh, we kind of love this whole notion of being able to build episodic shows that are creating communities and engaging more audiences so more to
0: come on that front do you see uh, relying less on short form yes can you explain that a little bit more
1: well i mean the short form is interesting for building an audience but i think the mid-form longer form storytelling is better for engaging an audience and ensuring that you're a daily habit in the audience's feed.
0: And making money.
1: And making money, Yeah, of course, right.
0: <laughs> Goes that side.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but listen, you need a little bit of that short form to, for your brand too, for your brand to constantly be front and center. But we know that our brands have permission from our audiences to be, pro, be programming longer form, Storytelling, um, you know, we pay a lot of attention to watch time and are seeing really incredible growth in watch time across all of our brands.
0: Okay, other questions? Yes.
1: Brian would love for me to answer that question for you, but um, I won't get into the details on our (laughs) financials. But um, I will tell you that certainly Group Nine or our four brands are really known more as a custom content play. But now that we have the availability of all of this incredible transactional inventory, in stream video in particular, we. Uh, still wanna grow the custom business because it's super important for advertisers to be able to align with our brands and do so in ways that give them a, a closer connection to our audience. But it's also really important that they can surround some of that custom content with their own creative assets and tap into really some of the more traditional forms of advertising. So why I'm bullish is that we're not just a one-stop shop for custom. Um, which is probably if I was sitting here a year ago, I would be like, yeah, you work with us for custom. Now I'm able to say, we have such a diverse array of products that increasingly that mix will be less, uh, will be more balanced between custom and transactional.
0: Okay, anyone else? Any other questions?
1: Yes. Watch time is a big deal for us. So it's really less about, um, it's less about the view and more of the time that you're spending with us. And we also pay close attention to habitual viewership. So we know that 40 million people come back and view our content every single day. And that's actually a bit more meaningful to me than the 5 billion views.
0: Mm -hmm. When you say come back, what does that mean? Because many people are viewing these in feeds, right?
1: Yeah, but you've opted in to have us in your feed, and you're spending some time with us.
0: Got it. Okay. Um, Yes? What's your biggest uh, fear or frustration?
1: Well, some of it is that it's an incredibly complex media marketplace, and I would say that you're always operating in a little bit of uncertainty. because no one's written this playbook yet. I mean, sometimes when I'm reading the tough headlines in the press, I'm thinking, okay, but what are you basing that on? Because this is all new for everyone. And I find that to be incredibly empowering. I also find it to be incredibly scary. Um, But we also know that, listen, I I should back up and say, I've got two teenagers at home. They're my mini focus group. And when I watch how they're consuming content, that's all you need to do. Like spend a couple of hours with teenagers and you know where this business is headed. And so our opportunity is to make sure that we're preparing ourselves for the future. um, And that is exciting and challenging.
0: Yes. So so following up on that, are there are there platforms that are that are showing a lot more traction? Yeah. Right.
1: So yeah, I think that there's. I mean, we talk about the major platforms all the time, but I also mentioned that we're distributing on tw- over 20 platforms, some of which you've probably even never even heard of before. Uh, TikTok, the formerly known as Musically, Dodo Content is performing extraordinarily well on TikTok, and we. Can will... you make
0: money off that?
1: Not yet, but that's okay. Uh, So, and I think that's a really interesting point. On there are some publishers who would say, "If I can't immediately monetize, I'm not going to be there." Uh, Our approach is we believe in the importance of building audience because we know that monetization comes, and we're building audience on IGTV, right? We wanna be the first ones there who already have a very engaged audience and we know that monetization will open up and we believe that will happen in the second half of this year. Um, I know for a fact that TikTok is gonna become a very interesting platform for us down the road. I think a platform like Twitch is fascinating, right? I mean, it's fascinating for all of the gaming content, but is there a role for non-gaming content there? Um, What are some things that we should be testing on those platforms? And it's actually one of the things that I absolutely love about being part of group nine is our willingness to test and continue to be platform agnostic and be so true to this mission of going to the places where we know Mm -hmm. people are spending their time.
0: One final thing on that: Will you quit a platform or stop putting resources toward a platform, even if the audience numbers are good, but just because you don't have faith that in a monetization vehicle coming?
1: I like at some point
0: there's got to be. So we money. haven't
1: faced that yet, Brian, because we have been able to monetize across all of these platforms in a way that is meaningful. So. I can't answer that question because it isn't a challenge that we've had to face, but we're running a business, right? So it is, it would be something that we would certainly give consideration to, but we would also balance that with a, do we think that there's some hope that there's monetization to come? What does this mean in terms of walking away from an audience? Are we capturing that audience on another platform? That would certainly factor into the decision, but right now I can tell you that it hasn't been. It hasn't been a challenge we've had to face yet.
0: Okay, Krista, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Thank you. And thank you all. Thank for coming. Uh, a lot of fans. <laughs> uh, thank you all for coming. Uh, Krista said you're you're welcome to stay, take any snacks that yes. you want. Times are good here. And thank you all for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. Please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This helps our podcast be discovered. And if you have any other feedback, please write me. Uh, I am brian at digiday.com or tweet at me. I am at bmrc on Twitter. And Joseph Owino did just that. He said, I have a confession. For the past week or so, I've been binging on the Digiday podcast by at bmrc just realized that I am now in 2017 content, having started from 2019. The kind of addiction I like. My God, Joseph, thank you. Um, I hope you will also leave a review for us on iTunes. Um, And thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode.